Hello everyone and welcome to this episode 11 of the In Context podcast with me, Gregor Thompson. For this episode, I spoke with an old friend, Ross McLeod, who is a neuroscientist currently doing research into ALS and other brain degenerative diseases, hoping to do his PhD at the end of this year. We spoke of a massive range of topics, including where our research interests overlap in subjects like free will and consciousness, philosophy of the mind and other subjects. We also speak about stuff like music, movies, books, and for everything that's mentioned in the episode, I will reference that in the show notes. Also, if you could please follow the podcast, if you're feeling generous, please leave a good review. It does mean a lot. You can also watch the podcast on my YouTube channel, which is GT Media UK, all one word. And you can find all my other work, including academic articles, music reviews, opinion pieces, and all of the In Context podcast on my website at gtmedia.uk. But for now, enjoy the episode. Right, so what I thought we'd start with is just, we'll go, let's go back to like, because for those of of you who are watching or listening, me and Ross went to school together and... Yeah, so we'll maybe just go back to then and just like when you left school, what did you go on to do? You went to University of Glasgow, right? Yeah, so I went to Glasgow uh, studying neuroscience from undergrad. Um, and it was kind of there that I became interested in like neurodegenerative diseases, um, which are basically just diseases caused by cells in the brain that either lose their function or and die, essentially. Um, so yeah, done that, got interested in that, and then went, I was lucky enough to go to Sweden to do my master's, and that was in like medical research, um, so that was two years, and it was like a research heavy course, kind of just, a lot of it was geared up preparing you to do a PhD, which is what I knew I wanted to do at the time, um, and the projects that I did there were mainly focused on Parkinson's disease, which is a neurodegenerative disease. So yeah, that was that. Right. Um, so that that was like, and what 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 do you want your PhD research in? What kind of topic are you looking for there? Um, so I'm sort of interested in how inflammation plays a role in these neurodegenerative diseases. So like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. ALS and so on and I think a lot of people generally know what inflammation is like for instance you get a cut it swells or goes red a bit and you know it's inflamed Um, but the process is a bit more complicated than that and if it isn't properly controlled it can lead to disease and have a role in disease. Um, So there's kind of like two things that trigger inflammation Um, like damage to either the skin or inside the body to cells and infection, so like viruses and stuff. And basically, when you're damaged or you get an infection, your immune system springs into action and causes this inflammatory response. Um, so that, yeah, that's all fairly standard. But in the brain as well, we also have these cells called microglia, um, and they're basically the immune cells in the brain, and they react the same way to the damage and infection. We kind of want to better understand this. 
And as well as that, so that's all taking place in the brain, inflammation that occurs like in the, the rest of the body, and that can also influence um, inflammation in the brain. So it's just sort of try to understand the inflammation in the brain talk between the immune cells in the brain and the rest of the body. Right. How yeah. how, how long do you, do you see there there being like a major breakthrough in these sorts of diseases because it's it still seems like there's so much unknown that like is there is our big breakthrough imminent or is it are you hopeful about that? Um not really imminent if I'm honest. I think yeah. Because you just see a lot of sort of research, you see a breakthrough in an animal model and it just doesn't translate into humans. And like, yeah, there's countless things that have looked promising and then just haven't had any clinical effect in humans. So I think a lot of the time you need to sort of get more robust models um, in order to yeah see these effects. It's, yeah, it's tricky though. It, really see anything in the like short term happening <laughs> it's almost as i yeah. think that's like a typical scientist thing to be um real realistic or cynical yeah i think you just sort of like day to day you go so many through so many failures or like this experiment didn't work you just end up repeating a load of things so it's like any breakthrough is like yeah in your career there are very few and far between yeah um, what what do you think what 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 can people what do you think people can do to to keep their brain healthy? Like what lifestyle changes can people do to to prevent these things? Or are they preventable? Or are they gen, are they are they genetic? So is it like a losing battle? Um, so there's like there are a lot of genetics involved, but that plays like a there a small role in the percentage of people who get a lot of these diseases, and it varies between disease to disease. So some um, mutations are just passed through families and then the people inherit these diseases. But there's actually a good breakthrough. Um, so for Parkinson's disease, then patients with Parkinson's disease have a smell. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like something secreted in their skin. And I think they've used sniffer dogs to detect this, but there was also a nurse um, who could smell off her husband. And then she noticed a sort of musky smell. And then she was asked like, can you smell this in other people? And she had like, a, I think a hundred percent record of detecting it just where her nose. So that was pretty insane. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to your, question about sort of like lifestyle to possibly avoid this I think with anything like you just sort of say get more sleep which is immensely beneficial um, and better sleep and just maybe like keep your mind active like do mental tasks but mm -hmm. from that front it's hard to yeah I'm not sure it's preventable by that right um, so what we'll, what we'll do now is so um, for those watching the way we we came we came across like making this sort of, this episode was um, you had messaged to say you'd watched the previous one 
um, with Ben. And then we got talking about both of our researches, research interests, and we found that there was a, there was overlap there um, in them. So I'll quickly go over my kind of academic history so that people know like where my research interest goes and then we can like dive into some like deep questions. Um, so when I left school, I went to the university that was that was number one for journalism, simply because of that. And I went there for about two months and um, the way they organized the university, they had like you had to do about four or five other subjects. Some of them had nothing to do with your main de- your main degree. They didn't like the, the idea of that. And so I, I dropped out and went to the other university that I got an offer for for journalism, asked them to take me. And then they said, you're going to have to go to college because they didn't trust me. <laughs> um, so I went to college and I, I did media and communication at college and then did a degree in journalism. And then I, when I left there, I went and did a master's in digital sociology. And I'm now about halfway through a master's in philosophy. Um, and the main, the kind of, the kind of theme, I was thinking about this the last couple of days about how, how that kind of story went, because when I was doing journalism, that was all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was, was journalism. And then when I started the course, all I wanted to do was music journalism. I was reviewing music and stuff like that. And then it was maybe like a year of doing that. I thought, I, I can't, I, I'm not going to keep doing this. Because I, I was like, I, I found it quite repetitive. I ended up seeing the same things about every single album that's coming out. Um, and then I moved on to just do, I, probably like this sort, sort of journalism where like opinion journalism, where I'm not having to be impartial or objective. I can just put whatever I think across and just kind of speak to people. I think that's where you get the, the best information. Um, and then, yeah, when I, when I left journalism and I went to do my first master's, that's when I started getting into academia more. Like the journalism course wasn't academic at all, wasn't theoretical, it was very practical. Um, and so now I'm, I'm, I will hopefully be doing a PhD at the end of this year. Um, and I suppose the question I have for you is like, how, how important do you think it is to keep doors open? Um, for these kind of like interests and stuff like that because I think if I had kept all those doors closed then I probably wouldn't be doing what I would be doing now I would still be doing music journalism or something like that yeah definitely um, and I think yeah it's immensely important because I don't know I think we get rushed through our early sort of education and like you need to know even at uni you're like you need to know what classes to take how that'll link you towards a future career and I think I've kind of always been lucky enough that I thought I want to do a PhD um, but it did take me a bit of time to like figure out what I'm really interested in and also to, like build up the confidence in myself that I, like yeah basically sort of overcome imposter syndrome um, but yeah so it's like if you don't have that mindset from the start just get a flavor of different things and then like don't be in a rush to be like I need to do this um I think that's really important like I was going to ask you how did you sort of so when you went from the um journalism to the sociology like was there a moment that you sort of were like or something you read sort of more towards sociology that you're like yeah this is what I'm really interested in um well, looking back, I think there's probably a couple of things that led me into that sort of research because I think my dissertation for the journalism 
course was quite sociological. I looked into how the media per perpetuated um, drug users um, and what effect that would have um, on people's opinions of drug policy and stuff like that. So that was quite, uh, the methodology I used in that for that was pretty sociological. Um, but also the digital sociology course was my second option. Like I applied for philosophy originally because I wanted to do that. Um, and then I didn't get into that, but they, they, they offered me, they gave me an offer for digital sociology. Um, and still like the course was, was really interesting. There was a lot of, of, lot of um, interesting stuff about um, humanitarianism in the media um, and there was I did, also did a course on the dark web talking about like how how is the dark web making drug use safer because people are reviewed like on Amazon so you'd only buy yeah. from like a, a reviewed seller so it would kind of like intuition would tell you that drug drug buying drugs online that way are safer um, <laughs> but forget what your question was how did I get into sociology well that's really yeah. it yeah I applied for philosophy originally I didn't get into that and um go into sociology when I finished the sociological <laughs> course um I still wanted to do philosophy um and yeah the reason I got into philosophy was just a bunch of different people that I started watching like um Sam Harris being one um Jordan Pearson another that like, kind of got me into philosophy kind of mainstream philosophy and this is like the first time I've ever looked at philosophy academically and the probably the biggest challenge of going straight into philosophy without writing philosophy is that how to write philosophy because it's so it's so different to any other or yeah. like other academic writing styles like in sociology no and journalism yeah like you, in sociology yeah. and um, journalism <laughs> in a in a paper you couldn't say i you had to say the argument will be stuff like that and um, you couldn't put your opinion across it had to be very objective Whereas with philosophy, it's it's a, it feels like a lot more relaxed. You can say this is what I think. You don't have to back up. You almost don't have to back up everything you're saying with citations. Like you, you could probably write a whole paper without any citations, um, oh. and you'd still it would still be a good paper. Um, and that's why we, that's what I really like about philosophy. So, yeah, long-winded yeah, answer. <laughs> so you don't need to read other people's work. You can just do it all yourself, basically. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, I've had to do yeah. like a lot of reading, um, but yeah. I enjoyed the reading a lot more than the other courses mm -hmm. that I've done. Um, I find it a lot more, a lot more interesting. I think it's like a sort of, yeah, I think when you mentioned some of the topics we'd come on to later in the podcast, I was like, right, I'm going to read a wee bit about them because this <laughs> is philosophy pretty much through yeah. and through. Not a, mm. Like there's some crossover with neuroscience, but compared to the sort of molecular and cellular stuff I do, it's yeah. quite removed from that. And then yeah. so like delving into that, it's pretty daunting. Like some of the <laughs> language and the theories, it takes a while to get your head around. But yeah, and yeah. I think I couldn't do it long term, like study philosophy. I think I'd go a bit mad. I might have probably been there already, but... Um... What I find with philosophy is that it's so broad that there's some forms of philosophy that I just can't do. Like we did a course on um, logic, which is, is it's basically just maths. It's like equations and stuff like that. It's just working out equations, really. What is a logical argument and stuff like that? It's that sort of stuff I can't do. The, the philosophy that I, I have to do is stuff that is like practical and affects the world 
and can be applied to the world. So, um, so the courses I took were political philosophy um, and philosophy of perception, and that was last year. And this year I'm doing philosophy of the mind and gender and race. Um, so yeah, and all that stuff is very like applicable to the real world. Like, if you, like perception was looking at when you see something, what are you actually seeing? Are you seeing an image in your brain or are you seeing the actual thing? Is, some, is something being projected to your brain? So yeah. that's maybe where there's, there's some form of overlap. Whereas like when I'm writing philosophy, I don't know anything about objective science. So I'm just kind of writing what intuitively or from my experience, what seems right. Yeah, with the sort of the course about the perception, did you touch on the science at all? Because, yeah, go on. <laughs> kind of. Like it would be kind of like an underlay of science in there so we'd like talk about when an image hits your eye or stuff like that but the majority of the arguments I was making I wouldn't use objective science to back it up I would yeah. use your experience so when you look at something <clears throat> it can't like there was the basically the big argument with philosophy of perception is like what are you experiencing when you see something is it the physical thing is it a representation of the thing or is nothing that you experience real? And so I kind of thought that nothing, I'm kind of sympathetic to that, that there's nothing that's actually, there is stuff that's real, obviously. There's stuff around us that we know it's real. Yeah. But I would, I would argue that what you're yeah. actually experiencing, you have no control yeah. over and it just appears to you. Yeah. So in that sense, how can what you experience actually be real? And when you, when you go into, when you start diving deep into like hallucinations, illusions and stuff like that, that's when you start getting like an argument for that. Because when you see something that's not there, is that not just exactly the same as when you see something that is there? Yeah. You know? And like, because the brain does, like the brain predicts things. Like, um, I think, yeah, it sort of like fills in gaps for your vision with very accurate predictions of what from experience and things like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's, you're sort of right on the thinking that we don't necessarily see what is in front of us. Like it's an image created by our brain. It's not like a photograph and then that's reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a scary thought. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. A lot and of I like, think, like you mentioned, sort of. Go on. Um, I've just got a wee segue into sort of something. Um, so, like you mentioned, you don't choose to see these things; they just pop up as you see them. And you were saying, I think that gets into what you want to do about your PhD, like free will, and like, do we have a choice in everything, really? Yeah. I think that probably that idea, that probably came from Sam Harris. Like he has a book called Waking Up and he's got a meditation app called Waking Up as well. And um, a lot of the stuff he talks <clears> about when you're meditating is to, uh, to acknowledge that, like say if you had your eyes closed and you, you start listening to sounds, are you actually doing the listening? You're not really. The, the noises are just coming to you. You've not got any control over what you hear. And it's the same with thoughts. So if it's the same with thoughts, that you have no control over what thought goes into your head, how can you argue that the action, like the thought that leads to an action, is your, your choosing? 
so that's where that kind of idea started from and then i've started to look into yeah. more like the implications of saying if we don't have free will what does that mean and and to me it's like that's what just what you're saying there it's a scary thought like when i when i say that that's what i think to people they do say like how can that how how can you like be happy with what you've done or like think of your achievements as your own achievements and i think it's 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 a humbling thing it's, it's a positive thing because it humbles you and it says that if you didn't have any control over it then it was other it was probably other people that had more of an impact on your achievements than you did yeah and it would be the same on the opposite side like if you had <laughs> someone like um like homeless people or people that have problematic who are problematically using drugs if we think that they didn't choose that then yeah. we can be a bit more sympathetic towards them and help rather than looking at them as like they made their choices well they really didn't on that argument yeah yeah and i think coming from like a biological perspective um we simply don't have the evidence for free will existing right. um, but at the same time it's like it's everyone's like lived experience revolves around this idea of like feeling like you have free will um and i do think like we do have a will because you can and you were saying like the thoughts that come in your heads and you act upon them but you can also choose not to act upon them and that is um but it's sort of the idea that the initial thought coming into your head you don't choose that necessarily and in terms of like from a cellular level like that's a neuron becoming activated and then sort of passing an electrical signal down its process to then speak to another neuron. Like what initially causes that activation? You don't cause that. It's, it happens either randomly or deterministically, but it's yeah. not free. So it's like, we've got a will, but it's not free. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two things there where one when that sort that stuff happens in your brain where like synapses fire and serotonin and, and that's all I know about brain stuff. But when that happens in your brain, you don't experience that in your brain. You don't experience anything that happens in your brain. So this is where maybe we'll move on to um, the topic of consciousness as well, where you don't, ex you don't experience anything that happens in your brain, but you experience consciousness, but consciousness, <laughs> isn't quite in your brain or is it i mean that's that's where they are that's, that's a big argument they have there uh, yeah so i think kind of it's important to know that or note that like scientists know surprisingly little about consciousness and yeah i guess like since we don't have an actual answer just now they're just theories but yeah, the big question is like, how does a neuron firing um, then come into like a subjective thought? Um, and yeah, I kind of think that the brain sort of works on this level by connecting with like billion or each neuron connects with thousands of others and thousands and thousands and it creates like billions of connections and it forms this massive network um, and then this network is what creates something that's more it's like more complex more than the sum of its parts 
that then it's, I don't really know, or no one really knows the link between consciousness and the mind, but I think they're the same thing. Like they're both there and interconnected. Um, but like there's some theories, like people, we know like brain activity occurs in like a synchronized and rhythmic pattern. Um, and we call these brain waves. So like your brain waves typically change throughout the day depending on what you're doing, like whether you're asleep or awake and doing different activities. And researchers can look at your brain waves and see what state you're in. And then some there's a specific type of these brain waves that are high frequency that people associate with sort of high functioning tasks and people are sort of some people attribute that to consciousness and it's like the sort of synchronicity of all these neurons connecting at once kind of creates what we know as consciousness right so would you would you say that consciousness is physical or non-physical there's the big debate i think so this you mentioned earlier um when we we're talking Mm-hmm. dualism and is it physicalism is that is yeah. that the sort of two camps yeah uh, yeah um, two main terms yeah yeah and i think yeah i think consciousness is physical and that it exists sort of within the same um sort of framework as the brain like all the it's yeah it's just a extension of the brain it's not a separate thing Okay. So you, so you just say, yeah, that's you. You would be a, a physicalist then. I should, I should probably explain actually for people who are listening. Yeah. In. So, um, dualism was a theory by Descartes in the 1600s. He introduced it, and the main theory is that the mind is immaterial and separate from the physical body. Um, Descartes at that time was, was very religious, so he he said that the mind was your was actually your soul, and that your soul could live on when your body dies. So when you physically die, your mind can live on. Um, and a lot of people have like expanded on that theory, and I'm I'm pre- mm. I, it's not a very popular theory now. Now that we have after the enlightenment and um, we have science and most scientists will not back up that claim that the, the mind is immaterial and they will say it's, it's physical. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sympathetic to dualism just from an experiential point of view that <clears throat> we, like, we don't know where consciousness actually is and we assume that it's in your head, but there's nothing really telling you that it's in, it is in your head. Um, but anyway yeah and physicalists will say that every there's lots of different branches of physicalism but the main point of physicalism is that everything is physical so when something something appears in your consciousness it's a physical reaction in your brain that does that um there's different like sub and theories of physicalism like behaviorism which would say that there is we don't use mental terms it can everything can just be explained through behavior which is quite a that's that's like a lot a lot of like kind of psychological experiments will use behaviorism like Pavlov's dog and stuff is is analyzing behavior rather than the mind but to me at least with behaviorism there's something missing there that 
it doesn't like behavior can't explain everything about someone's intention or anything like that. You need to, you need, you need to look into either look into someone's physical brain or ask them and they'll give you kind of indirect evidence of what they were thinking at that time. So there's something missing with behaviorism, but the main, the main, the big thought experiment with this, with this debate is, this is a lot of philosophy I've found out is just all these scenarios that are just very unlikely to happen, but they use them to argue against different theories. So if you imagine someone, someone, Mary, who's a brilliant scientist, she's lived her whole life in a black and white room and she's never experienced color. She's also immortal, let's say, and she learns everything there is to know about perceiving color and what color is. She learns all the knowledge of it. But then when she leaves this room and experiences color for the first time, the question is, is, does she learn something new by doing that? If she does learn something new, that that information is non-physical because she learned all the physical information there was about color. So what did she experience? What, when she experienced color, is that her learning new information or is that her just, she already knew that information from before? That's like the big, that's a big debate with this, this, okay. this debate. Yeah. So like something that doesn't seem compatible with dualism sort of for me okay. is that how can like physical things such as like drugs that cause hallucinations and or like brain injuries, how can that alter the mind if it's non-physical? For example, if you take acids, like that's a chemical that has a physical effect on the brain. But how does that, if the two, if the mind isn't physical, how does that have an effect? That's kind of, I don't really. Well, that's a big, that's a big objection with dualism. There's, there's, well, there's loads of objections to dualism. I don't think, I don't think all those objections add up to being able to say that dualism is completely false because there's yeah. no like conclusive proof that it is false yet there's so many questions unanswered but that's that's the main objection is saying like how can how can something non-physical <laughs> like your mind affect something physical like your body and yeah. it would be the same the other way around how can something physical like a drug affect something non-physical like your mind um i don't know, i feel like a dualism might say <laughs> they're separate but they're connected that would maybe be their argument back, but it's not a very okay. strong argument, obviously, because how can how can something non-material still be connected to something material? Yeah, so, I think that's yeah. kind of where I lie, is that they might, I can't say whether or not they're like one in itself or they are separate, but I think the connection is there. And to me, that connection has to be physical. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's sort of... <laughs> where I would fall on it. Yeah, I think, I think for me, I'm like, this is like a, a very annoying argument to make, but I'm probably on the fence. Like I, I, I know, I know physicalism is the, you're inclined to go towards physicalism because um, science, majority of science backs that, but there's still, I just feel like with everything, including dualism, there's something missing. If not yeah. quite, got it yet and it's like physical hasn't quite got it because there's there's something in your experience that just to me it just it it just isn't physical it's something there's something more or there's something different and it might not be like it might not be 
it might not be dualism. It might not be that the mind and the body are separate. It might be very much the same thing. But there's just something there that's subjective. That's maybe where like where science kind of can't back it because it's like it's not objective. Mm -hmm. The stuff you experience, um, like your thoughts and your dreams and hallucinations, illusions, and stuff like that, they're not objective. They're very subjective. So it's 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 very tricky to answer that question because it's not direct evidence that that that's that you need you know yeah so you mentioned Descartes earlier right yeah. and he's pretty famous for believing that animals don't have a consciousness um so is that like what do you make on that like sort of consciousness within animals I think I think some 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 animals are more conscious than others I think the main question of animals is insects that's the that's the main one that I think is a very like 50 50 are they conscious or not there's that's a hard one but like animals like dogs I think they are conscious but there's a limitation to how conscious they can be <clears throat> I think yeah. humans are capable of that <clears throat> sort of introspection to actually observe their consciousness I don't <clears throat> like dogs other animals I don't think are capable of doing that looking in towards their consciousness we're able to observe it if you like meditate, for example, then you can eventually be able to look inside and figure out where con well where consciousness isn't like your head mm -hmm. experientially. But animals, I think, have a limit to what they can experience. I think that's yeah. the difference. I think that kind of makes sense from like an evolutionary point of view, given that we evolved from a common ancestor. Um, the level or type of consciousness probably differs in different animals because we've diverged at certain paths. But I think to say, like Descartes did way back, is a very vague view. But to say yep. that animals don't experience this, I think it's just plain wrong. And yep. yeah, I think in mammals, definitely, it's pretty clear that they do. And the th interesting thing you mentioned about having the self-awareness. So it's like, chimps like have you heard of the mirror test with the dot yeah yeah uh -huh. and then if they try and rub the dot off they know they're looking at themselves so yeah. like i think chimps even i think dolphins even do this are yeah, able to like pass the test of this and try and like remove the dot don't know how mm -hmm. a dolphin does that but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so i think there definitely are different levels to the consciousness um, that you see in yeah. other animals yeah i think yeah i'm just like another thought experiment that came to mind where let me try and remember his name thomas nagel i think his name was in the 70s came up with the idea of so bats have that kind of sonar echo thing i can't, I can't think what it is but they, they're blind so mm -hmm. then they use some sort of sonar to see if there's something in front of them echolocation yeah echolocation that's what I'm looking for um, and so his question was it's almost similar to the Mary argument is we can know everything about echolocation we can study bats for as long as we want and know everything about that but we'll never know what it's like to experience echolocation so that's that's another argument that dualists have make have made it's not very it's not very it's not that strong an argument but that's what Julius have, have made this said that with animals we can't know what it's like to be an animal or what it's like to be another person yeah so what 
what is that that we don't know about that other person? Yeah. And I think kind of people make a lot of assumptions and sort of place human traits on animals that might not necessarily be there to sort of get a grasp of what it's like to be a dog. (laughs) Well, did did you see that that experiment? I don't know why this was being experimented on, but they've, they've concluded that dogs struggle to know the back of your, the front of your face to the back okay <laughs> so they said it wasn't quite clear that they actually can recognize your face so you know you yeah. could go up to a dog like that and it would still get really excited yeah so if you just maybe I heard your voice or yeah it's that's just very like people were really upset about it because <laughs> they think of dogs as such like lovely animals but if they don't yeah. know the front of your face it's so sad <laughs> yeah <laughs> You could just be um, back of a head to a dog. <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to ask, so in Sam Harris's book, Free Will, he mentions exper- scientific experiments that can that almost prove that free will is an illusion. And they've and it's where scientists are observing um, people and they were able to predict a high percentage of what these people were going to do, like simple things like, what magazine they were going to pick up and they predicted it like with a, like a tenth of a second before they actually made the action mm-hmm. how plausible do you think that is as, as proof from a neuroscience perspective um <laughs> i can't really dispute that to be honest like yeah i guess it's because the only thing would be because it's such a short time frame like milliseconds before I don't know how yeah I guess yeah I really don't (laughs) try to think of something I'm like pretty stuck yeah yeah it's a tricky one I think I guess when it's interesting anyway for the argument when it comes to more complex decisions it might be harder to sort of prove like decisions that require a lot more thought and mm-hmm. um, like ethical decisions or something whether you could predict how someone would answer to that I think that's yeah you'd come up short with that right so yeah maybe it works with simple decisions that you can like predict based on I'm guessing it was like activity in the brain they saw something light up and they were like okay that indicates yeah yeah yeah, yeah I don't think that would work for more complex questions right um, and the other question that you had in like the notes before we started this was what makes humans special what, yeah. what, what, what do you mean what do you mean by that well just like we dominate the world for better or worse um, we kind of lord it over all other species um, and how did we get to this point what separates us because if we agree that a lot of animals do have consciousness it might not be consciousness that separates us from the rest and that's led us to develop to where we are. And yeah, I think I've read a few things. I think one of the main things seems to be like our ability to form complex languages and cooperate on like massive scales and also adapt quickly to changes. Mm -hmm. Because like if you compare our brain size with neanderthals they had bigger brains so it's not like about the brain size necessarily which 
yeah, so that's not what makes humans special. I think it's kind of what I was saying earlier, the massive network of connections within the brain that sort of allows more complex thought and like creative solutions to problems and stuff. I think that's kind of what separates us. Yeah, I would, I would, I'd agree. I think it's our, our higher level of cognition and consciousness as well. It's our ability to... It just also just from, from like an evolutionary standpoint, it just looks like we've progressed so much. We just, as a species, have progressed so much faster than other animals. <clears throat> is it like I'm probably I'm looking at this probably really simplistically? Is it the case that some animals started from a lower level than like humans did? As well, I'm trying to think what what did we start as from an evolutionary standpoint? I have no idea. It's how far back do you go? Because like we all, well, it, yeah. so like we all started from a cell, and like cells evolved like millions and millions of years into mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, um, they became multicellular and all this. Um, I can't remember your question now. So, um, well, where did where did we like? I, I suppose well, I suppose what I'm getting at is like when we if we started as, as a cell and like other animals started as a cell as well, were their cells just worse than ours so that they didn't ev- like evolve as fast as us? Or did we start as the same cells and we just moved <laughs> faster? Okay, I think this is kind of, the sort of framing of this is wrong way. So it's like you're seeing evolution as like a race. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'm looking at. Yeah, like whereas that's not the case at all. So like... Right evolution works in the fact that like you evolve fit for your purpose so you evolve to do the job um so like um humans were hunters and gatherers so evolved that way whereas a panda (laughs) is maybe evolved in a very different way um they're they just eat bamboo. They've not had to involve yeah. sort of the speed or yeah decision making processes that like other species have. I think yeah, it's just all animals. If you take them, if you compared us to sort of the evolution of a panda, a panda far outstrips us in evolutionary terms in terms of like digesting bamboo and stuff like this. So when you're on their terms they've like evolved way more than we have mm-hmm. so it's like you can't really put it on a singular term each animal has evolved like as right. much as they can for their purpose sort of thing right um but it's, yeah it just happened to be that we've our purpose i'm not this is going to sound wrong but like our purpose hasn't been to dominate the world, but that's just how we've gone. Like evolution doesn't have a direction. Multiple species like evolve down a road that leads to their extinction. That sort of thing. Yeah. What's the, other, the main the questions that come to mind when we're talking about evolution is there's some things that I'm just curious about why we developed them. So like the the funny one was chins. We're the only animal with chins. But no, there's no use. That. There's no use for a chin. What's the point of a chin? And the appendix is the other one. What was the point of the appendix? We've lost use for that. What did it must have done something? 
Yeah. Like chins must have done something. Like every, you can point to a lot of things in your body. You know exactly what their function was. <laughs> there did too, I can't figure out. Do the apes not have chins though? So that was my first thought. Like I, I, I can't remember where I saw this. It was some scientist that said it. And that, my first thought was, sure, like chins, dogs have chins, apes have chins, but I don't think they actually have like a like a protruding thing there that okay. comes out or goes down. So it doesn't yeah. class it as a chin. Because I just thought I thought it would be like an extension of the jaw. Mm. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, the facial development and stuff. We did some of that, but it's very dangle and I could not tell you a single thing about it. But um yeah, it'd be interesting to look at the evolutionary point of view for that. Well the other the other thing I wonder is what the future of evolution is going to be now that we're on phones. There's always like Gavin Oates, I had him on maybe I think it was maybe four episodes ago. And his question was, what's going to happen with to our thumbs because we're scrolling so much? Like they're finding like babies um what was it they were doing? They were doing something with their hands because they developed something with iPads. So they were they already knew how to do that before they could speak or something like that. So okay. already like babies are are adapting to screens. So what's going to happen in like a hundred, two hundred, thousands of years when we're all we're all going to be like hunched back over <laughs> our thumbs are going to be huge or something like that? Yeah, it's, I it's think, a scary thought. I think it will be more so like in terms of that all the evolution that we'll do from now on will be more behavioural. So like with babies that are learning to scroll before talking, that will be because their parents, they see their parents do that more sort of thing. But in terms of, because natural selection, like how it's worked in the past, if you say, for example, say if you had small thumbs, if you had small thumbs, you would die off and you wouldn't pass on the genes with small thumbs. But now we're not in a society or a world that you would die off for those reasons. So it's like there's not the evolutionary selection to sort of kill those genes off and pass other ones on. That's, yeah. Right. That's probably what we wouldn't, I don't think we'll see as many physical evolutions that will be behavioral more. Okay. What, what impact do you think? the pandemic's going to have, apart from the obvious, like COVID for one. But I just think it's so interesting when, if we're talking about the human race in general to observe that the whole world just stopped. We all changed our behavior very quick when like yeah. someone told us to, obviously for the right reasons, <clears> hopefully. <throat> um, but we all stopped. And like my, my, my the big thing I found was... Um, big changes like environmentally if we're talking about the environment we can all change our behavior pretty quick yeah and it's almost like we will change our behavior if the threat is imminent if the threat is 10 20 years away it doesn't it's the future me's problem or that's yeah, the yeah. kid's problem um that was the main thing i got from this pandemic do you do you get anything from it yeah i think it sort of it does highlight our ability to adapt adapt rapidly um, but yeah, um, environmentally, it's kind of shown that, so like the narrative, like for valid reasons around COVID is it is an imminent threat. And it just sort of says, if you use that, maybe not the same language, but put the same level of existential threat and imminent threat on global warming and stuff, 
people will react. Like we like a story. Um, <laughs> sort of, yeah, you need a narrative around that. Um, yeah. I think that's also like that sort of like the story and the narrative. That's maybe why we're seeing so many people believe in conspiracy theories. And some of them are like ridiculous. They're so stupid. Um, and it's like you can see you can see why like conspiracy theories have, have um, grown and become more popular. Social media, people are able to connect. The 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 people that believe them can connect with other people. Um, but going back going back to free will, that was another thing I noticed that if we don't believe in free will, we should we should look at people who have different political perspectives as us with more sympathy because if you're brought up with a family that tell you this is how the world is and then another group of people tell you this is how the world is can you blame people for believing that like hillary clinton kills babies um you could you could at least look at them with a bit more sympathy and it's also just in like in like broader terms if we're talking like if people are talking politically people have went so far the opposite way and they hate the other side. Maybe if we, if we look at it like no one has any free will, then we can look at the other side and be like, well, they didn't, they didn't choose their political choices then. Yeah, I think it definitely works both ways though. I've, like, yeah, conspiracy theorists kind of scare me quite a lot. But I think you hear a lot of people who were once conspiracy theorists and then... Mm-hmm kind of went away from that and I think it's the sort of treatment afterwards and like I think there the sympathy um really needs a lot of sympathy like possibly like previous far-right extremists and then um I've realized that what they were sort of indoctrined in didn't represent them they just sort of got circled in a rabbit hole but I think I can understand the polarization when the actions of these people actively harm other groups of people and seek to do damage to them. I can understand why you'd be a bit less tolerant of someone if they questioned like your right to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I get that we sort of need to have a more considered discussion when speaking to people of different political beliefs but I think there is like a red line that if you cross I can, yeah there's only so much sympathy you can have for certain people yeah I yeah. think for me that red line is when human rights are infringed when yeah. someone's wanting to to stop someone having human rights and that's where like another another module we did in for philosophy was cultural relativism where it's we're talking about morality and the question is is there a global truth like moral truth or can is there no such thing do other countries do other countries look at morality in a different way which means we can't look at them harshly and say they don't know what they're talking about but the problem i find with that is when you look at human rights so if another country the 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 extreme example was, I think, Inuit, where like their, their culture, I don't know if it still is, it was about two, 200 years ago, they practiced infanticide, where they would have to kill female babies of their own 
to survive mm. because the males would go out to hunt and the females didn't. And they ended up having more females, so they had to kill off their young babies. We obviously, we'd look at that and say that's horrible, but I think that's, we should be able to do that. I think when we, when we, if we move forward to today, if someone was to criticize on our country, some people might say it's racist or something like that. But if it's, if it's infringing on human rights, I think we should be able to make that criticism. Yeah, I think with the example of the Inuits, I think there's a bit of nuance in it that you can see how those practices came about rightly or wrongly. Yeah. So I think in terms of that, like you can have sympathy with some aspects of a culture, like, mm-hmm. yeah, again, rightly or wrongly, but they valued the male babies more in terms of, I'm guessing, survival of their community. Um, but yeah, I think you should be able to then say, look, this isn't the way we've proven that this isn't really how nature works your ideas maybe aren't (laughs) correct but then it is is there a universal truth that's hard to say or are we imposing well that's 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 the main argument of it is people are people don't want the western countries to enforce their norms onto say eastern countries or vice versa Um, but I, i think when we're talking about like killing and yeah, something to do with human rights and um, then we, we should be able to do to say something about it without yeah you know being like shot down or anything um let's switch gears off of mm-hmm. <laughs> the deep stuff um what what are you doing now to stay healthy like with your mind with your with your body what you what are you doing um i've actually well i started running um and I feel like an idiot because I bought my first pair of running shoes like a month ago. So before that, I'd just been running trainers and I hated running. It was doing, killing my legs and all this. So I got running shoes and lo and behold, people are right. They work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been doing that. I've been reading a lot more. Um, so yeah, reading, running, cycling, going on walks. That's sort of been how I've been keeping my mind and body kind of sane. Good stuff. Um, How about you? Well, the same. I've been doing running as well, and I bought running shoes, and, yeah, they do make a massive difference, mm-hmm. um, even if they aren't really expensive. But um, I started, yeah, I started running, like, the last lockdown last year, um, and I plan to get up to do, like, a 5K, um, and that's basically all I'm doing now. I'll maybe... My my original idea, since the pools are closed, my original idea was to try and do a triathlon a week, like a like a basic one though. So it would be like okay, a five k run, yeah, not like a not in one go. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no, like so one day I would do a five k run, then a ten k cycle, and then I think it was two thousand five hundred meter swim. Okay, yeah, um, and try and do that once a week. So I do, I'll do three cardio workouts a week and three kind of strength endurance workouts a week. Yeah. Um what else and reading as well um and yeah just uni um and yeah yeah you you saw in the last episode about the nootropics so i've I've been i've been getting into um what's the word i don't like just vitamins like different types of 
okay. like supplements. Um, so I got into the nootropics from Joe Rogan. Um, so he, I don't think he's sponsored by them. I think he advertises for them or something like that. He's like a ambassador. That's the word I'm looking okay. for. Um, the company is called Onnit, and they have this thing called Alphabrain, which is supposed to help with memory and focus. And I've heard of nootropics before. I knew Jed had, had um, tried them when he was studying. But these ones are slightly different because every ingredient's natural. None of it's chemically enhanced or anything like that. Um, I did recognize like three of the ingredients were like from mushrooms. Like I recognized some of the names of, of them. So I was a bit skeptical about it. I didn't think it would, it would work that well. I, was, I wasn't expecting it to be like the limitless pill, but I tried it. I took one and it was literally like, like that. I just kind of zoned right in. And I was thinking, I kept on thinking this, it has to be a, like just placebo, just the, the physical idea of me taking a pill is just, just put something in me. But even if it was that, it did give me like quite a lot of focus. And it's even, it's like cut down my coffee intake as well. So, um, and also I did, I did um, phone the doctor to get advice to like see if there are safe to take. And her, her answer was she couldn't recommend taking them because the trials aren't big enough for NHS standards. So the trials were maybe a few hundred people um, and the majority were fine. Um, I, think, I think it was two out of 200 had some sort of psychotic episode, but that's because they had mental health issues beforehand. So yeah. her advice basically was if you're, if, you've, if you're having mental health issues, stop yeah. taking them. Yeah. Um, but my um, another like my main question was, can I be able? Should I take it with coffee? Is that going to have a bad effect if I take a pill and have coffee? But the way I've been doing it, she couldn't answer that. But the way I've been doing it is, I've been drinking mushroom coffee, which is from a company called Four Sigmatic, which is it's just normal coffee but less of it, and it's got <clears throat> specific mushrooms in it for whatever you want to do. So there's one for your brain, which is chaga, and lion's mane mushrooms. Um, and they've only got about 50 milligrams of caffeine compared to about, I think a Starbucks has about 350 milligrams. So that's cut my caffeine down. And it tastes, it tastes really good. And it does, it kind of, it's still zone genic. It's, it, there's no like jitters. You don't get any shakes or anything like that like you get from coffee. Yeah. Where was I going with this? Vitamins. So that company also do like a, on it, do a box of vitamins that will, like they do different things but it's really expensive. So I basically looked at everything that they have in that box and tried to get it all from separate companies. So I take a multivitamin krill oil and spirulina, which is like a pond algae, okay. which the pills smell just like that. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. Um, and there's one more krill oil. <laughs> And uh, 5-HTP, which you might know, it increases serotonin in the brain. Is that um, just good a for relaxing precursor? I think so, yeah. Okay. It's good for like relaxing and kind of increases serotonin. Mm. Yeah, so. I've got quite a lot of thoughts on neutrophics, to be honest. I think, right. so I think a lot of it, comes down to where you're getting them so like there's loads of companies that claim have like amazing positive effects but to be honest I'd steer clear of anything that was like saying become smarter become in more control like I think yeah, a lot yeah. of that's and as you say I think a lot of that's expensive nonsense not gonna lie 
Yeah. Um, and I know in the past there's been a lot of like controversy about illegal marketing. Um, so basically, I take all the marketing stuff with a heavy pinch of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've actually nootropics have actually been around for quite a while, um, and they were initially like developed to improve cognition in people with impairments, um, like disorders and illnesses. Um, but I don't think there's been any in regular use that have had like a lasting benefit. And I think a lot of the people, pretty much everyone who is against nootropics is mainly because the fact that not well enough researched, the testing just hasn't been enough to say conclusively. Um, and there's been a few, I think it's more in the past, but there's been a few outrageous sort of claims and stuff has been dangerous in the past if it's been taken in someone who doesn't like some of these things are designed for people with disorders yeah. and if you take that and you've not bought it I think that's one you probably don't it's not going to have an effect or it could be quite dangerous yeah. um, so I think from that point of view I'm a bit skeptical but also I think there's a spectrum of what people call nootropics so there's the one end that's like medication for people with an illness and then the other sort of like a supplement and a nutritional thing, like as you said, you've been taken. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that, that is probably harmless. But what I would say for that is like, like with most other supplements, you're probably likely getting it enough just through your daily intake and things. Um, and getting an excess of this might not, like, it might have a very subtle effect. You said you've felt quite focused, which is definitely a good thing. But in terms of like thinking about it from like how the cells work and thinking you're going to get improved cell function and things like this, I think that's probably a load of nonsense. Um, yeah. And like, Gwyneth Paltrow's company, Goop. Um, I've also sort of gotten in on it and they're like notoriously bad with anything scientific. Yeah. I think they've like marketed an anti-fog supplement, like so you see clear and the ingredients of that you get in a cup of tea. Yeah. So it's like some of these things, like these supplements are good, like having a cup of tea can be beneficial um but it's just the expensive nature of the marketing that you'd kind of look out for and whether or not it's worth it like the cost of it i would just say if you can afford it and it's doing no harm to you like feel yeah go ahead but like just sort of take everything with a pinch of salt that a company says yeah i think well my my main mindset with it was one i didn't want to rely on it so I yeah. didn't want to feel like I needed to do it to focus or feel like if I didn't take it, I wouldn't be as focused, which isn't yeah. which isn't the case. Um, I didn't want to rely on it. And I didn't want to take it every day or take, like, it, like you can take up to two a day. I didn't want to take two a day and I didn't want to take it every day. So like the way my routine with using it is in the morning, I'll have a mushroom coffee to wake myself up and then I'll wait four hours for that to kind of wear off a bit. Then I'll t- if I'm doing uni work or I'm doing something that requires a lot of focus, I'll take one and then four hours later, I'll have a mushroom coffee. 
and that's it. And I'll maybe do that about three or four times a, a week. Um, and so far, I've not noticed any negative effects for doing that. It does seem to help. And the other way I think about it is it's cutting my caffeine down as well. Like that's yeah. that's what that's instead using having that instead of a coffee is cutting that down. Um, whether it's having any massive beneficial effect, I don't think it is. Um, but just like while you were talking there, I went on to like look, just to look at the marketing of it. Um, the benefits it says is supports memory, promotes focus, and aids in mental processing. That's the three. That's the three main bullet points it says. Um, I'm just trying to see if we can get the ingredients because they're all yeah. a bunch of stuff that I never heard of. But a lot I of think... like the quotes of people. So like like Joe Rogan's quote from it is, "It seems to fire up your brain at a higher level. It helps me form better sentences." I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think it. I don't think it does that. Yeah. Um. Um. Can't write the bloody ingredients. Right, there we go. L-tianine. That's the one that's found in tea. <laughs> L-tyrosine. So that is, tyrosine is a dopamine precursor. Um, L-tyrosine. Yeah, because tyrosine L-dopa and then dopamine, that's sort of the chemical substrates of dopamine. Um, and that was kind of depend on what, how much of the enzyme that make dopamine are present. I don't, okay. yeah, I'm not sure how that works, but I mean, it's a genuine thing, but whether yeah. or not it's converted into anything useful is not one. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Phosphat Tidalicerine. Never heard it. <laughs> okay. Um, I think. Oh no, there's more. Alpha GPC. Any ideas on that one? Um, <laughs> her, Huperzia serrata. Okay, no, like yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> L leucine. Leucine, leucine. So leucine is an amino acid, um, which I you would you get amino acids from eating protein. So yeah, I I imagine a lot of these are nutritional things. Like people take supplements. Um, yeah. So I, if it's kind of in the same way as that, I think it's pretty harmless. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I would spend the money that they ask on it, but no, um, I would. I would probably say to people what because I emailed them asking their advice about having it with coffee, and they and then I also asked um, like just simple questions like is there withdrawal from it? Will do you need to have it every day for it to have an effect? And the the customer service person came back and said Look, it, it works for different people. People's um, situations are different. Um, and for some people, it doesn't work at all. Some people, it works better if you have it every day. Some people, it works if you just take it when you need it. And some people, it doesn't work at all. So I think if, if, anyone, if anyone's listening or watching, like we're, we, we've been talking about this in a very rational way. So yes. yeah, don't, don't look at this as some sort of thing that's like a limitless pill because it, it isn't. I, yeah. Before I was taking it, I was still being productive and I was still focused enough 
yeah. that um, if I don't take it, I will still get work done. I will still get probably just as much work done, but I wouldn't maybe, the thing that would maybe come away from it is I wouldn't feel that focused in that, like say hour of yeah. writing or something like that. I'd maybe have a bit more recall or something like that from it. Yeah, I think the um, focus thing, mm-hmm. I think that probably is the most benefit that people would get. I'm not sure you would get improvements in memory just from that. Um, yeah. That was the one claim that I sort of thought, okay, that sounds a bit dubious. Yeah. But the focus thing, I know when people like with anxiety and stuff, a lot of these nootropics tend to just sort of calm them and focus them. So like, yeah, if it's something that you think you need, like because you're suffering in some way, then yeah. look into it. But yeah, I think... I would just say, like, try and get as much sleep as possible. Eat well, because you'll likely get all this through your diet anyway. And just, like, exercise, keep your brain active. Like, that is a free way to do all these things, in my opinion. Yeah. I think even, like, we were talking about excess when I was when I first started taking um, a multivitamin, <laughs> first time I went to the toilet after taking it, my pee was like neon. And yeah. I went, I was like, oh, there's something wrong. All coming straight and, I went, out. and I went to, I went, I can't remember who I asked. And they're like, yeah, that's just all those vitamins that you do not need are just going, your body's just getting rid of it because it doesn't need it. Yeah. Um, but what about diet for you? Are you doing anything with your diet or are you just generally eating healthy? Uh, my New Year's resolution was be vegetarian. Um, which hasn't been a problem at all, to be honest. I've been sort of eating little meat for the past year, so it's just kind of a natural progression. Mm-hmm. Got a few cookbooks, vegetarian cookbooks. It's kind of brought excitement to cooking. Um, okay. Which, yeah, I think that's also helpful for, for like mental health and focusing on something, just setting aside the time to go try a new recipe. And then once you've done it, you can like tinker it in ways that you want. That's yeah. kind of a nice way to pass the time. So yeah, I think that would be, that's kind of one thing I've been doing during lockdown. It's been fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was, I went vegetarian for about 10 months. And the, <laughs> the funny thing I found was the thing that stopped me from being vegetarian was KFC. I was driving back from work and the KFC was there. I was like, I, like I had a stressful day, I'm going to have to do it. And I sat in by myself in the car with a KFC, like, oh, it's so good. But it's like, things like, like say he then went another 10 months or like even yeah. a couple of weeks and then had a KFC and like, it's just about like how much. I don't think anyone's expecting anyone to go cold turkey. Yeah, It's just like that sort of mindset of being like, okay, I don't need to have meat with every meal, which I think a lot of people believe yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's easy not to do yeah i they think the majority for, for me like the majority on your plate should be greens vegetables and stuff like that and the majority of your food throughout the whole week should be majority fruits vegetables stuff like that um i found like over lockdown because before when i was i used to cook a lot but i would only i would do like easy meals all, all the stuff that just gets chucked into a pan like um like joe wicks like lean and 15 stuff which is good. That's good to use, like um, the majority of the time. But I think, no, not got it. Um, Anthony Bourdain's cookbook. I got that over lockdown, 
and started doing stuff over that. And that's like stuff, like one of the things I made was a chorizo and kale soup. And you mm-hmm. put like a, a bone of ham in it and you cooked it for eight hours in that, in that ham hock. And it's just stuff like that that's like, it's not easy. It's not just food for the sake of like simple food. It's like yeah. stuff, it's going to take some time, but the results are really good. Like that tasted amazing. Yeah. Really good. Um, his cookbook, because I know he's quite a good writer as well. Like, is his cookbook just like recipes or does he write in the book? Sure, I do. Oh, it's here. And that's there. Okay. I think it does, it does have writing in it, but like, it looks like that. Yeah. But it does have, like, that's the mac and cheese. Jesus. Mm. It's the best yeah. mac and cheese I've ever had in my life. It I was... got, oh, I got, do you know Ottolenghi, his cookbook? No. Um, there was a Loyal Karner song called Ottolenghi. He's pals with Loyal Karner. Um, right, okay. But he, I think he's Israeli-British chef. I could okay. be wrong with that, but the he did a spicy mushroom lasagna. And oh, my days. Wow. That, like, <laughs> you're talking about your mushroom coffees. Get on board with yeah. this. Like, <laughs> that it's good. so good. Yeah, that's like one of the best things I've ever made. Right. Um, what about music? Have you, what new music are you listening to? Or what are you getting into? Um, I guess I'm still sort of like, there are a lot of albums last year that I got kind of fixated on that I've okay. still kind of stuck with. So like Eve's Tumor, um, sort of like an experimental psychedelic rock album. Um, okay. Yeah. And there was a band called Salt as well, which was kind of like a soul funky band. I think they're two of the main ones that I've been like, on board with all past couple of months right how about you um well the classics like um the vaccines brought out uh covers ep that's like five different covers and they're all it's called cozy karaoke and <laughs> you can see why it's called that because it's very like is it fun or versions. Is, it, is it what sort of covers do you like what's your favorite cover off the album or one of the albums um they do one, you know, No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, shit, yeah. They do that, but it's like, they use like a keyboard and it's just like, do, ah, do, 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 <laughs> Yeah, it's really nice. It's, a, cool. it's lovely. Um, what else? Kings of Leon just brought out their new album last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really good. Um, what else? Post Malone. I really like Post Malone. Um, his I latest album is really song. good. Which one? Congratulations! Is that the one that? Yes. Yeah, yes. that's the only one. one I know. His new album's pretty like it's it's quite rocky, but okay. he does like it's 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 just like it's music that it's just like it's, it's it's surprising that his stuff's in the charts because it's music that's like new and kind of like a different sound than you're kind of used to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's good. What about mm. movies? Um, Any good ones? Recent, like, maybe six months ago, so I was watching, like, a movie a day, but I've really dropped off in terms of, like, I've sort of started picking up books more than movies, but I watched Captain Fantastic um, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I think that was, okay. like, 2016 or 17 that was out. And then Minari, 
I don't, have you seen any of them? I don't know that one. I know about Captain Fantastic, but I've not, I've not watched it, but I've never heard of Minari. Yeah, so Minari is like, I think it's about a Korean family in America and the sort of the father of the family, he buys land. Um, I think it's pretty like run down and he wants to sort of grow Korean vegetables and start a farming business that way. And it's just sort of about the family tensions they have with that. Um, it was like, it's quite a quiet um, and understated film, but it was, yeah, it was really quite moving. It was like quietly very good. Right. Did you see Parasite? Yeah. That, good, right? Yeah, I think. Crazy. Yeah. When I saw that in the cinema, I came out of that just like blown away. Yeah. And I, was, and I went in knowing that everyone that had come out had been blown away. So I was like, oh, yeah. is it going to be that good? Like, is it going to live up? Yeah. And it like, it's still blew my expectations out the water. Yeah, it was the same. Because I watched it after the Oscars when it won Best Picture and I was like, it can't be that good. Surely it's not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like I was sucked in straight away. Yeah, like glued to the screen. It was incredible. I think that's probably the favourite film that I've seen over the past couple of years. Right. Um, did you see Tenet? Yeah. Don't have a clue. Like, it was fun. Like, I enjoyed yeah. watching it at the time, but Again, I didn't have a clue in the cinema. <laughs> well, that was the thing. Like, I went, I went into seeing, like, I'd seen Inception, and I was sure I understood that when I saw it. I was pretty sure I followed it. I had to try really hard to follow it. And I'd seen Interstellar, and I've seen that about six or seven times. And I still don't quite understand that one. Yeah. Um, and then went into that. Like, I can remember, like, it was maybe, like, the first hour in the cinema I was watching it. I was like, it's fine. Like, I'm kind of, yeah. And then, like, after that, I was like, ah! No, <laughs> just it just turns after like yeah. halfway through, um, and then it got to a point where it's like there's no point even trying to understand this. Yeah. I'm not going to even concentrate because you just can't wrap your head around that one. Yeah, um, that's going to take a good like five times before ever quite understand what's going on there. Yeah, have you seen it again at all? Or no, I've only seen it at once, but yeah, I do want to. I know I'm going to have to see it a bunch of times. That's the thing. Concentrate I'm really hard. Curious how it'll like fit like second time watching yeah so i did really enjoy it but now i'm just going to be like right focus yeah. like see what yeah. i'm doing i don't want to be that i don't like i do that sometimes where i'll watch a movie then i'll like go into like plot explained online to like make sure i did understand it i didn't want to yeah. do it with that i want i want to get to a place where i understand most of it myself yeah however long that takes <laughs> are there any films like to do with like free will or consciousness that you think or a TV not that I've seen I've got I reckon have you seen like Get Out no but that's okay. like on it's on our list to watch because that's, that's the one I've not seen yeah, so it's like I wouldn't say yeah definitely the main theme of it isn't consciousness but it kind mm -hmm. of you can kind of see from Actually, I'm, if you've not seen it, I'm not spoiling it. But there are yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'll keep that in mind though. Yeah, just sort of think about the dualism, mm -hmm. sort of theory of consciousness when you're watching it. Okay. Um, okay. Have you seen Being John Malkovich? No, 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 that, no. That's that's good. That's like the main character in that finds a door that leads into John Malkovich's head. 
and he like kind of plays puppet with John Malkovich. It's really funny. Brilliant. That sounds good. I like John Malkovich as well. Um, yeah. I'd say what like else? they'd both be worth a watch. Yeah. Did you see Arrival? Yes. That, that was good. I, yeah, so I only saw it last year. I was one of my friends, I was living with him, and he had the book of short stories that the story was based on. I think it was the story of your life or something. Okay. Um, so I read that and then was like kind of blown away by that book, the short story. I was like, how do you come up with this idea? Yeah. And, and like same night, I was like, I'm watching the film. And <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and what, what, speaking about books, what about books? Have you read any recently that have sprung up? Yeah, I've just finished one called Open Water. Um, it's a really short book, which I'm a fan of, when you can like get through it quickly, yeah. you feel good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, like the music and that, it was really good, which feels weird talking about a book. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, they just reference a lot of music, and you're like, that's such right. a good song. Um, right. And it's a really, yeah, it's quite a devastating story in some ways, but it's like heartwarming. And before that, I read Homo Deus, um, was it the brief history of tomorrow? Okay, I think I've heard of that. Yes, that's kind of. Have you heard? You know, Sapiens, the book. Right? Yeah. Same author for that. I can't mind his name. And it's just he was talking about like how we got to where we are, and where we're going in the future. Um, okay. Yeah, it was really interesting. It's quite long, and it like. It was the polar opposite feeling to open water, whereas like I got through right. that one really quickly, whereas it took me quite yeah. a while to get through Homo Deus. But it was, yeah, it's right. definitely worth the read. Okay. I'll link all these as well. Um, Books-wise. So last lockdown, I read Trainspotting for the first time. Um, that was really good. Like, I didn't think I'd be able to read it properly because it's all in Scots. But That's what I was on then, yeah after a couple of pages you get you get used to it and especially i think it helps being scottish as well that you can mm. you can work it out for yourself i think it'd be harder if you weren't scottish did you come away um, talking in scots did you put it down and go to your mum and start talking <laughs> <laughs> no no i don't think i think that would be a hard <laughs> a hard a hard thing to push um what else did i read oh um cynical theories that was really good that was by james Lindsay and helen pluckrose Okay. And so they, did you he ever hear of the grievance studies? I don't think I did. So it's three academics who were getting more and more frustrated with the, the kind of far left way that universities were going. So they were kind of showing that we're preaching less objectivity and more about experience and more activism in some courses that don't need activism. So they basically wrote 10 joke papers over the space of a year, proper journal articles, um, just to show how crazy the mm. academy is getting. One yeah. of them, they quoted Mein Kampf and related it to feminism, and it got published. And, and it got... This is obviously a joke, aren't it? Yeah, it's like complete yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they like obviously went to publish it. It got published. I think quite a few of them won awards. I think the Mein Kampf one, they said it's the best, it's one of the best things happened to feminism in the last 20 years. So that that was going on over a year. They got 10. And the other one was 
Um, it was something about dog parks. Like they said, they went to dog parks and they said something about like owners have to know the gender of, they don't have to know the gender of their dogs or something like that. It was something to do with gender. And they said they went to dog parks and investigated the genitals of all these dogs. That one got published. Um, yeah, there was a good 10 before they eventually, like some, I think a journalist found them out and exposed it. Um, but yeah, so James Lindsay was, well, he was, I think he got fired after that and um, got laid off. Um, and Helen Pluckerose is an English, she's the editor of Aero magazine. And I had her on, I got her on the podcast two or three episodes ago. Um, and that was really good. Guest. Yeah. Well, it was crazy because I was watching Joe Rogan and James Lindsay was on Joe Rogan talking hmm. about it and he's and he's and he was like talking about all these people and saying like Helen Pluckers and I was like hell I might try that just in yeah. case and then then yeah she got back and said yeah and I was like ah <laughs> was that <laughs> a crazy. long shot like how do you go about like obviously we knew from school so it was just like yeah set that um, up like... so probably like the start of the month I will email people I do not think will get back to me at all people that are way they're not going to get back to me just in case because sometimes yeah. they will so big, like massive people like Sam Harris or like Jordan Peterson, I will just email them. I'll email them once a month, just saying, come on. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I'll do that. And then like, like throughout the month, if something in the news happens, like, so the next episode is going to be on um, gender, gender assault, the sort of like in the wake of um, Sarah, um, I can't I forget her last name. Mm. Um. But yeah, so like if something pops up in the news, that gives me the topic and I'll generally just try and find people to do with that. Um, and like, I'll try and be conscious of what we're talking about and who I'm going to speak to. So like I did one on Black Lives Matter and I spoke to Olivia Otiba, who's a freelance journalist. And I wanted to make sure I was um, I was getting the point of view that I wanted. Do you know what I mean? So, so I'll be, I think I'm going to be speaking to her again on gender as well. Sure. Um so yeah that's generally how I, how I just like email people it's usually just copying and pasting the email to other to different people just say yeah. I, I love your work and <laughs> could, you, could you please can you I usually say like please resume it can be for as long as you're willing to provide um, and yeah you can plug whatever you want to plug um, I'm trying to think who another person I might I, I might be getting on is Richard Herring who was on he, the last episode of Taskmaster? The he's last a comedian, of Taskmaster. Yeah. He is, yeah. So I think his pals will let me. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, that's another one I probably went on. Um, I just I Facebook messaged him, just saying, "Do you want to come to the podcast?" And it was literally like that. He came back and said, "A bit busy right now, trying a couple of months." I was like, "Okay, yeah." <laughs> okay. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, I said this. I wrote, I wrote an article on this thing. Like, if I if I in like 10 years I'm still doing this podcast and I'm, I'm not making any money off of it it's still got exactly the same views that's fine the amount of people yeah. that I get to, the, the, the people I get to speak to is, is great yeah the, the kind of stuff I get from it but where what books that's where we were so cynical mm-hmm. theories I'd, I'd read that so that that's basically them summing up that idea that um what's happening with kind of like woke culture that sort of thing and okay. like um goes into postmodernism and this and this sort of thing. So it's an interesting read. Um any other books though? I'm reading Harry Potter now <laughs> because when I was a kid, I remember I watched the first two and then I never watched the rest of them. 
And I always thought, if I never watched the rest of them as a kid, how could I like them now? So what's the point? So eventually, like over lockdown, I was like, well, I've got all this time. So fuck it, I'll watch them all. So I, I watched them. They're so good. Oh, <laughs> Forgot, I, I didn't realize, I didn't think they'd be that good. But I watched them all. They're really good. And then I thought, I'm going to have to read the books now. So started reading the books. You? Just finished the first one. Okay. So, but I accidentally right. ordered um, a set of first editions. That must be expensive. It wasn't that they're not like like very great first editions. So, like the, okay. the thing with first editions is you want first edition, first printing. Those like for just the first one, you're talking about hundreds of thousands just for that one. But these are like first editions, but like twentieth printing. But it was like it was ninety quid. And I accidentally did it because I was just checking like like how much delivery and stuff would be. And I accidentally clicked something thinking it was just like add to basket. And yeah. I just went through and I was like, oh, well, I've got them all now. Yeah. <laughs> I have to read them. <laughs> so, I've yeah. not actually, I don't think I've read them all. I think when I was a kid, I stopped about the third or fourth. Yeah, they're good. And then, well, that one's good anyway. Yeah. And then I don't think I've seen all the films either. I've seen... Seen the last two in the first like yeah. four, but I don't know. <laughs> Weird <about>. order. <laughs> yeah, I think I just I stopped like around teenager, younger than that. Kind of stopped reading, lost my way with sort of all that stuff. Right, and then just would watch them if they were on TV, like Channel Four or something. It was never we're going to the cinema to see this sort of thing. Yeah, that's fair. Um. Another book is uh, Matthew McConaughey's one, Green Lights. I read that. That's really good. It's like a kind of bio- biographical kind of motivational thing. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, and one more is Tim Ferriss's book. He's got, well, all of his books are really good, but he has a podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show. And he just interviews like successful people from everywhere. So like actors, actors, musicians, um, some people from the army, um, mm. like everything. He's, he's interviewed. He's interviewed everyone that I can think of, um, but he's like put it all into books. So consolidated interviews, all the best bits from the interviews into books, and it's like okay. they're all common questions. So like, what's what does success mean to you? Or like, if you could have a billboard anywhere, what would you yeah. have on it? Um, and it's all these different people in a book, and it's all their answers. Um, it's good. I noticed, so you've got your quotes thing on Instagram. Yeah. Do a lot of them come from that book? Yeah, so I've got the way... I mean, it's I good, this it thing. sounds like a good book to yeah. do it from. It is. Um, the way I do... I've done this for like five years where if I'm reading a book and I think I like a quote, I fold down a, the page and then come yeah. back to it. And eventually, like, I'll, I've got on that app, Evernote, I've got all these different quotes all, like, worked into files. But it just so happens that that book, like every single page is folded down because I like every <laughs> single quote. So I'm like working my way through that. So that's how I'm doing it on Instagram where I'm just like going through every quote I've got and uploading it. I think I'm near the end of that book. So I'll move on. Like some of them are, some of them are like fiction books, like quotes from like Brave New World. Like there's one that comes to mind. There's a few quotes yeah. on that that I like. So eventually it'll, it'll switch up to different books. Thanks for doing that. That was great. Yeah, um, thanks for having we, me. We got into some deep, deep conversations yeah i feel like some that i'm definitely not qualified to talk about but there we are well i don't think well i don't think anyone's qualified to talk about anything so and so that's it for episode 11 of the in context podcast 
my thanks to Ross McLeod for that conversation. It was extremely thought-provoking. Um, it would be good to do another conversation like that because I think on a lot of these subjects we only scratch the surface, so a deeper dive into these topics is definitely needed. And like I said at the start, if you could please like, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to the podcast, it generally does mean a lot. And you can also, like I said at the start, watch the podcast on YouTube at GT Media UK, all one word. All my other work, again, is on gtmedia.uk. You can also follow me. I'm very active on Instagram, the, which is gtmediauk, all one word. And everything that was referenced in the podcast, like music, movies, books, articles, even some of the theories we discussed, I've referenced in the show notes so that you can, if you want a deeper dive into any of these subjects, you can feel free. And for now, thank you for listening, and I will see you next month for episode 12. Take care.